Hey, I'm James Intercasso, the host of Tabletop Babble, a chat show all about tabletop role-playing games right here on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. I have great interviews with big-name designers like Mike Merles, lead designer of 5th Edition D&D, Rob Schwab, creator of Shadow of the Demon Lord, and Ruth Tillman of Cthulhu Confidential. We also talk advice, news, and reviews with some of the most informed game masters and players around like Darcy Ross, Celeste Conowich, Rudy Basso, Mike Shea, Teo Sabadia, Liz Tice, and so many more. It's basically like any chat you've had with your fellow gamers at a local friendly gaming store. We geek out about geek stuff. So come and have some fun with us on Tabletop Babble. Available at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com and wherever podcasts are available for free. Hello, I'm Mike Shea, uh, and this is the uh, uh, DM's Deep Dive. I can't even remember the name of my own show. Um, on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. And on this show, we spend an hour finding one particular topic about Dungeons and Dragons and diving deep into it. And on this show, I'm joined by Tom Lamell. Tom, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little about yourself? Uh, Very good. So I am a... Oh, where do I start? I'm a longtime Dungeons and Dragons player. I've been going to Gen Con for... Over 30 years, I started cut my teeth on AD&D. I've played literally every edition since. I've played a bunch of other games, etc., etc., etc. Uh, I was very involved with uh, Monty Cook's Malhavik Press back in the 3X days, and uh, now I do some social media for Evil Hat, and I play test for Wizards and. Along the way, I married my hobby with my uh, my vocation. I'm an actor and a trained improviser. I started doing improv about 17 years ago, so I have a lot of like a, a lot of background in that. And I live in Los Angeles now. I'm, I earn my living primarily as an actor and uh, primarily as a comedic actor. Uh, I often. You may have seen me pop up in a commercial here or there. I've I've got one running right now for Realtor.com with Elizabeth Banks. You might have seen me in that. I wear my glasses in that. Um, (laughs) And those sorts of gigs always require a lot of improv or at least like micro bursts of improv. So about six years ago, I sort of uh, intertwined my love of the hobby with my background and performance. And I created a web series called Dungeon Bastard. We released, I don't know, what, like 40 or 40 episodes, something like that. And uh, right now we're sort of on a, a hiatus. It's like <laughs> there's, it's, it's hard to find the revenue model for that. And we honestly did put a lot of effort, even though those videos are short and quick and feel like, oh, it's just a guy in his basement. It was still a guy in a room with, uh, a cameraman, a grip, mm-hmm. uh, a sound person, a director, a producer, a PA, you know, catering. Like, like we didn't try to you, do. You had you had catering. Well, I mean, not catering people, but like we had. Yes, we had. Like like had, a cheese plate, like a like a well, cheese plate from Target or something. Like Brugger's bagels, like a box of Brugger's bagels or whatever, right? right. So, right. yeah, it's uh, it's a. Uh, it's it not, I mean, but we spent money on food was my point, right? Like, and not just necessarily pizza. But at any, at any rate, 
there was a, a, a dedicated effort to put some polish into the production. Yeah, the and really, production value is always really high. Yeah. The, 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 the thing that was probably most expensive, honestly, was the editing, because I didn't do the editing myself, um, which is, like, that's not my skill set. So we'd hire an editor, and if you go back and watch those episodes, it's cut, cut, cut. Like, it's not, not necessarily the cut between cameras. That isn't terrible. It's not super cutty that way. But that sideboard Colbert-esque kind of, you know, um, right. the word kind of format, yeah. where the jokes fly in on the side on top of the jokes that, that the character is saying to the camera, that that was the part where we would get done. You'd get done shooting. We'd shoot 12 episodes in a day. And then over the course of the next three months, I'd end up spending, you know, two or three hours per episode just like, watching the initial cut and then telling them okay these are the slides they weren't written ahead of time so like the slides would fly in i would write the bits for the slides later after we saw the cut final cut of the oh episode, really the preliminary cut of the episode so anyway um I, I i think maybe sort of my peak accomplishment was i did an event called the world's worst dungeon crawl it's something that we kick-started and i, I tried I was there I, in the audience <laughs> well, you were. You, I, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate you being part of the magic because that's really. I, I, I when crashed. I, I don't think I was supposed to be there. It was like a, you know, only the Kickstarters were supposed to be there, and I'm like, hey, let's go to that, and I like wandered in the room. Snuck in. That's dirty. Yeah, it that's was. It's pretty bad. It's all good. So uh, I, I was glad to have the turnout there, and that was really, to me, that was one of the highlights of the whole Dungeons Bastard experience. I still make appearances. At Gen Con, in conjunction with Nasdrag, and uh, especially at Gamehole Con in Madison, uh, that's every November. I've been there for every one, from the teeny tiny beginnings to like it's like two or three thousand people now. So uh, I do show up there in character, but the Dungeon Bastard character has sort of evolved from being a very satirical type of over-the-top character to now I really use the account to genuinely dispense. I was, I was going to say, like, in my interactions with the Dungeon Bastard, is some, you know, some, some pretty erudite stuff. Some pretty deep conversations we have. I, I, you know, I think part of it is there's only so far that you can go <laughs> with that joke without it starting to turn in on itself. Yeah, right. And starting to feel like, you know, it, it, I, I consider myself sort of like I'm of the Grognard generation, right? Like I <laughs> cut my teeth on AD&D and playing Pharaoh and uh, all of those, or, or a lot of those old school modules. And and so being able to draw on that knowledge brings the, uh, uh, an air of authenticity that I think people can really sniff out if it were something mm -hmm. that were put on. But at the same time, I, I worry about the danger of the character being mistaken for something that's not satire and becoming sort of an exclusionary type of mm -hmm. idea where it's like, oh, well, you're not, you're not playing D&D &D right. Well, and that was the premise, right? Is that you're right. not, and that was the satirical premise is you're not playing D&D &D right. Ha ha, there's no wrong way to play Dungeons and Dragons. And right. this is the outdated idea of what D&D &D is and let's poke fun of it. But there's, you're always going to have a certain portion of your audience who don't recognize that that touch of the joke and uh and before it got too far into putting people off who, we had so many new people coming into the hobby yeah. that it's like well okay now i'm starting to make fun of or i'm starting to do a joke for people who don't understand right. what, what that was you know yeah. um yeah. there's there's people today you know who are 
25, 26, 27, they weren't even around. Like they were born around the time. Right, 20. Yeah, 20, right. So people who are 20 were barely born when you know, they were three years old when third edition came out, right? right? So they don't get any of those second edition jokes, those old like fun <laughs> of riffs, hell stuff about? like So in order for me to, I felt like I was doing a disservice to that portion of the audience who actually probably needed the most encouragement and welcoming sure. by playing this, like playing this old school character so hard. Right. Right. So that's right. one of the reasons that the Dungeon Bastard has changed. Right, right. So, cool. Well, so uh, one of the reasons I picked bringing me on to talk about my career, I'd be happy. Yeah, to no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's always very acting. interesting. Very interesting. Well, what I particularly like is uh, the last person we had on the show is a fellow named Will Jones who runs the Encounter Roleplay Twitch channel, and he's twenty years old, but he's been playing D and D for ten, and his full time job is playing D and D on Twitch. That's what he does. So, we, you know, I love getting the wide contrast of you know young guys like him and very old guys like you very and, old and, well yeah, I, I understand this, in hollywood those are fighting words <laughs> <laughs> um so one of the reasons i want to bring you on is um uh, in early may i was in i was on vacation and i uh as you know i don't i don't like to trust my own instincts when it comes to like the way dnd is or the way dnd does i like to find out from a lot of people you know i like to kind of gather a lot of people together to, to sort of get an idea so i posted a um uh, uh, I posted a question on Facebook and Twitter saying, what are the top three mo uh, most important D uh, DM traits for a good DM? You know, not the best DM, but a good DM. And I took all that and I threw all the text in a big thing and I, you know, rounded it all up and I, you know, stuck in the centrifuge and I got all the top ones on, on the outside list. And um, of that list, it was 162 results, and uh, 59 of the 162, which is about 30, 35%, said flexibility and adaptability. Uh, creativity had 38 responses, and improvisation had 27 responses. And what to me is interesting is flexibility and adaptability, creativity, and improv all feel like kind of the same thing to me. And, and they all feel like improv is the thing that leads to the other ones, that if you're you know, if you need, you know, flexibility and adaptability means being able to think on your feet and being able to change the game depending on how the game is going, which I think requires a high degree of an improvisation skill. And creativity is sort of the same thing. I mean, create, you know, we can be creative outside of the game, but being creative during the game is, is another trait. So to me, those all feel like improv, which to me kind of says that more so than knowledge of the rules, more so than, than many of the other things that we typically associate with good dungeon mastering, that uh, improvisation skill might be the most important one. Um, how do you, but do you, do you agree? No, I violently disagree. This <laughs> podcast cool. is over. I shall now storm off. Well, it's been uh, nice talking to you. Thanks for talking. <laughs> about your no, I definitely agree. And I think there's, there's two points to be gleaned from that. Right. Which is, you know, the most important thing that I, I think I would encourage everybody to realize is that just through the act of DMing, actually through the act of playing the game, you are already improvising, right? Because what is improv at its basic level? You don't know exactly what's going to happen next. You don't have a plan for the next two hours or whatever. This is exactly what we're going to do. You receive input you process it, you look at your available options, and you respond in the way that's most appropriate or most interesting for you, right? So even as a player, when when you're playing the game, you're improvising. Okay, well, you meet this old man in a tavern. 
Well, that's not. They didn't. They didn't have a script. Right. Well, and, and there may be a, you know there may be some talking points in the adventure, but you as the player, you actually have less of a script than the DM right. does. Yeah, that's what I mean. Right? They didn't walk in with the, the lines for what to say to the innkeeper. Yeah, the only script that you have is maybe the notes or the background information that you've taken up to that point. Right. So if you can deal with, you know, I'm going to talk to the old man in the tavern. You can. You're improvising. You're mm -hmm. you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's one point. Uh, I think the other thing that 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 survey suggests is that <clears throat> I I look back on the games that the various games that I've played, and the the thing that makes this hobby really worth it is you know of course the socializing and the inter interaction and just being able to hang out with your buddies, um, but but within that great you know that greater framework zero in on telling a terrific story, like creating, not necessarily telling a terrific story, creating a memorable moment, mm -hmm. right? And whether that is saving the elven, you know, royal hostages from the, the vile clutches of the dark elven necromancer, or it's hurling yourself over a cliff to do a quadruple backstab on a, a colossal red dragon or whatever that moment is, it's very difficult for any adventure writer to script that moment, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, we can talk about this, like you certainly have a, 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 a large body of work, you know, writing and expertise on creating the possibility for those moments, having a fantastic location having memorable villains, but really creating that moment of drama is not something, mm -hmm. if you if you put it into the writing, it feels scripted and it yep. feels forced and it feels like you haven't earned whatever's happening, you're just fulfilling a mechanical piece of the plot that's been like the, you just keep turning the gears until the players pop up in the right way. Right, right. right. And so that's where I think, you know, this combination of creativity, flexibility, improv, like that's why that stuff bubbles to the surface of the qualities of a great DM, because mm -hmm. a great DM can look at the elements that are happening at the table mm -hmm. and and accept a suggested course of action from a player or realize that circumstances are right for a moment of high drama to present itself. And then, you know, if the mechanics of the game are willing and the players you know roll the right dice or whatever, that actually that spark actually ignites into like a fully like whoa oh my god that was such a cool thing remember when mm -hmm. and that's yeah that's that that's really that's you know that's, I think you hit the nail on the head with that idea that um, we're already doing it right we, you know if you're sitting down at D and D and you're rolling dice and nobody knows how this thing is going to go even if it's like the most railroaded you know adventure you have you're still within those. You know, within those rails, you're still doing things that you wouldn't expect, whether you hit or miss, whether, you know, you, what you exactly say to the barkeep, you know, all those things are still flexible, even in, even in the most rigid of, of formats. Um, and that, and that kind of gets to another important point, which is that some people might think that, that improvisation in D&D is the funny voices, you know, that improv is, is acting, right? And that, and, right. and, and I think, you know, it's pretty clear in the examples you just brought up and in this discussion that improv isn't, you know, that's part of it. It can be part of it. Uh, but a big part of it is just, you know, knowing where to take the game and knowing how to react to things that are happening um, and, and knowing how to bring it around. And, and uh, you know, 
a, a real hard one, I think. Like the you know, to me, kind of the the the, the advanced level is understand the pacing of your own game while it's going on and know how to change that pace. And that's, you know, still improv because you're, you you know, if it's slowing down, how do you speed it back up again? You know, characters are on a sitting on an airship and they're getting driven from point A to point B and you really don't want another dragon to attack them on the airship. What do they do? And you're like, what if they find a secret note? And it turns out the captain of the airship is actually in a conspiracy and this is going on while you're, you know, so that how do you get them to, 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 you know, how do you change the pace with that? Um, and, so and I look at I look at uh, at DMing skills, and I think far more than the ability to do funny voices and provide entertainment to your table. It's far more valuable to understand the story structure of what's unfolding at the table and the pacing of how this story is unfolding with all of your main characters who are sitting in front of you giving inputs to this thing. Right. So. I mean that's that's ultimately it's ultimately what we're talking about is crafting you know if you can create a memorable moment that's fantastic if you can string together several mo memorable moments into a memorable session right. that's where you're really like long term like that builds long term right. success and then you build if you can build up to that into building it into a campaign well then now everybody's having fun and you're right. enjoying right right a lot of memories yeah um, so what are so you, we've we've talked about improv uh, um, you know kind of holistically. As it relates to D and D, but what are what are three for for DMs that don't really think about improv, right? Who aren't really kind of studying the craft. What what are three kind of dirty tricks that DMs can do to add to improve their own improvisation skills or to to add a little bit more improv into their games if it's not the kind of thing they typically think about or or are skilled in, according right, to themselves. Right. So uh, you know, whenever you read an article about improv everybody tells you oh, okay well let's start with the fundamental basics the golden rule of improv is yes and mm -hmm. meaning well you know if the players give you a detail or state something you accept that without question without hesitation and you build upon it yes and now i <clears throat> have a dagger that speak that that sings little whispered songs to me yes and the cleric has a hammer that uh, is enchanted with the spirit of some sort of long-lost dwarven warrior who wants to be freed by fulfilling his quest. And the, and while that's an interesting exercise, you need to realize that, number one, it's, it's a rule that's intended for performative improv, right? Mm -hmm. So one to 15 people get up on a stage and are going to create something for an audience. Mm -hmm. And it serves no other purpose than entertainment. Okay, mm -hmm. with your with improv in in RPGs, you're not trying to do like an entire improv show. And not only that, but you have like a generally you have a structure of the story that's supposed to unfold, at least in in, in whole or in part, right? Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden you have yes and sort of imposing this weird. Uh, condition or it has this weird intersection with but all of these other things are stated facts that i have in my notes so mm -hmm. what if they say something that's off of my notes so the first thing i would tell you is a dirty trick is get rid of yes and like don't ignore mm -hmm. most of your conventional improv advice if you want to go take improv classes i highly encourage you to do it and i think it's a great challenge and it can be very rewarding when it goes well it's an amazing feeling 
to, to make a connection with the audience live. Uh, it's also just a crippling feeling to flop, belly flop hard right in front of 60 people with the lights shining in your face. And everybody's <laughs> looking at you like, why did you say that? <laughs> and I guarantee you, you will have, I've had those moments, you will too. And that's just part of learning, right? That's fine. But that's like, improv, like, performative improv is its own thing. So don't get confused with, like, improv lessons that you might gain from around the, the internet saying, like, yes, and is the core tenant. And that's the rule that every you know, improviser right. follows. Number right. one, that's not true. But number two, it, 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 it extends to a different purpose. Mm -hmm. So to get back to your question, a very dirty trick or something that I would, I would encourage you to instead practice is, as opposed to yes, and, I would encourage you to practice saying, no, but. Hmm. Okay, so it's very easy to hand the players victories when they roll high. Okay, mm -hmm. natural 20, great. Oh, let's think of something cool that happens and uh, his sword flies across the room and hits the wall or whatever it is. Or, you know, the game generally has rules for when the players roll high, special effects happen. But mm -hmm. specifically in Dungeons and Dragons and in a lot of uh, uh, other RPGs, there may not be any kind of consequence or outcome not even to, you know, consequence sometimes has a pejorative sense to it, but there's no outcome for when you fail, when you miss. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, the, the binary nature of D&D &D is one of the things that I think DMs can easily overlook and, and not realize that's actually holding them back from crafting an interesting game or at least propelling the session forward. So what I mean by no but is, uh, okay, I want to make an intelligence check. Do I know anything about this glyph that's inscribed in the in the wall? Okay, make it. Okay, well, uh, oh, I got a seven. No, I guess I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, you don't know anything, but you but, do know this. You yeah, right. you don't know the answer to this question. No, you didn't succeed, but you do learn an additional piece of information. Well, looking at it, you can tell that it's draconic, and it, it appears to be related to fire somehow. You don't know exactly what. But you remember back in the, you know, back in Waterdeep, you saw a fire mage who was, you know, this pyromancer was, was a very potent wielder of, of evocation magic. And he had some, something similar to this, at least, uh, engraved in the side of his staff, mm -hmm. right? So no but, is the, that's, that would be my like, number one go-to piece of advice, is mm -hmm. in your game, even when a player misses with a weapon attack, oh, I missed, nothing happens. No, <laughs> you missed, but here's something that, that just add a piece of additional detail. Even if it doesn't have necessarily a huge mechanical effect, like don't just let that kind of flop on the table. Oh, I missed. No, you swing your sword deftly and it closes down and you're about to nick his ear clean off, but he ducks down just at the last minute and uh, rolls forward slightly or whatever mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. you know? So that's a way that you can start adding detail that's that's going to challenge you to like, oh, I need to think of a new detail that they could come up with. But it doesn't have to have high stakes attached to it because the player knows they rolled a seven, they failed. So mm. anything that you give them is great. Yeah, right. It's already better. Yeah. yeah. So so they're happy when you come up with like, oh, well, you just, you know, even if you just said that rune's draconic. Oh, right. well, now everybody can go, hey, well, who speaks Draconic? Do you have Draconic on your sheet? Like, they, yeah, they yeah. have information that propels the session forward as opposed to just roadblocking them, like, you don't know, 
Oh, well, now <laughs> okay. we can try something else. Okay. Yeah. Anybody got any ideas? So yeah. that's that's one thing. The other thing that I would once you've got that sort of like you feel comfortable with that. When it comes to characterization, uh, you know, we talked about sort of the funny voice type of thing, and that's not necessarily like the, the heart of you know good improv in terms of D and D, like we talked about. But it is it's definitely an element, and it's definitely something that people think of, like, oh, I really want to improv better when they're interacting with the NPCs. And the thing that I would suggest is that you start with a small detail. I don't care what it is. Uh, come up with a gesture, a word, a phrase, a noise, um, anything that that character does. Very small. Do it once. And then maybe, you know, wait two or three minutes and the next time that they talk or whatever, or two or three minutes later in the conversation, do it again, mm -hmm. repeat it. Mm -hmm. And improv is really at its heart about establishing a pattern, reinforcing that pattern. And then once that pattern becomes too kind of like staid and predictable, it's about taking that pattern and twisting it and doing a new reveal or a surprise. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but, but don't worry about getting to that part. Start with, Oh, he, he, he seems to scratch his right eye a lot. Mm -hmm. right. You can say it out loud. You can declare it to the table. Right. Or you can just do it. Right. Right. And when it comes back around, uh, well, now all of a sudden you've got <laughs> a signature, you know, a signature trait. Right. They'll, all, they'll, they'll remember that guy. Yeah, and yeah. they'll go, oh, yeah, that's the guy who's like this. The guy who scratches his eye all the time. It's creepy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's a beholder. I'm sure he's a beholder. Or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so those those tiny little details, it's not necessarily coming up with something super original. Like do not do not let that be a roadblock to your creativity, right? It can be the most mundane thing. Like he just calls everybody ma'am. Okay. Well, I'm gonna start using ma'am all the time. Well then maybe that's gonna start leading me down into like some sort of southern accent if I, you know, if I can master that. But it doesn't have to. It could just right. be repeating right. that thing over and over and over. And it makes that guy that's like fantastic. specific yeah. now, yeah, and and you haven't done anything yeah. brilliantly creative, yeah. other than pick a trait and repeat it. And as long as those traits are different for your various NPCs, so write them down, you know, mm -hmm. or come up with a list ahead of time, mm -hmm. and then pick, you know scratch them off the list or write names next to the list as you do it. Right. But that's the simplest way to bring a wealth of characterization to the table. And sure. just parenthetically, I would say. The other thing that's difficult about D&D &D in terms of like improv as it relates to role playing is not everybody at your table is comfortable acting. You may not be comfortable with it, but your players might not be comfortable. And, and, and I've rarely met a table where everybody stays in character 100% of the time right. or even 80% of the time. Right. But you don't have to do a lot of acting to do this mm -hmm. every time. Right, I right, talk right. To right. You. Right, or even describing it. He seems right. to always, you know, rub his head whenever he's lying. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> right. And it, and it, and what you'll find is as you repeat these things, they'll either become memorable. Right. I mean, if they don't, if they're not memorable, maybe you're not using them consistently, or maybe it just doesn't strike the pleasure, okay. or whatever. But but they have the potential to become memorable, or they have the potential to turn into a bit. You know, where now it's funny. Oh yeah, the guy who says yeah. "ma'am" all the time. <laughs> I'm not a ma'am. I'm a, right. I'm a knight. Call me sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, sir, ma'am. All right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so I was talking to Teos. Teos Abadia was on the show, and he was. I think he was talking about uh, organized play. 
And he said, like, you know, when you're when you're a player at an organized play game, you know, pick a trait for your character and make it big because no one's paying that much attention. And if it's if it's too small and subtle, if a characteristic of your character is too small and subtle, they're just not going to pick it up. And I imagine, you know, as a DM, you have a little bit more attention, but, you know, you still might have to overplay it a little bit. And again, we're not shooting for an Oscar here. So, you know, overplaying something like that is not the end of the world. Well, and, 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 and the flip side of it, too, is do whatever you're comfortable with and then work up to it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if the extent of your doing a character voice is calling somebody, you know, calling people ma'am all the time, right, right. that's fine. That's, that's a notable trait. You right. don't have to go into some sort of big, long, meandering voice that's really put on and has a lot of juice and acting to it and doesn't sound anything like it. You don't have to do that in order to introduce an element of role-playing to your characters. Right. And, and the, the best thing about that is you can just write down, you know, uh, Algar Hammerhand says ma'am all the time, and now I don't have to find that Southern right. voice like, oh, which Southern accent did I use? Was it really long and drawly, or was it short <laughs> clip? Did he, did he yell really loud? Like, oh, yeah, what did he talk like? You don't have to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Start small and then find your way into areas where you're more successful, you know, in terms of the acting type of stuff, right? Right, right. The final tip, you know, this is like, we're going on... Uh, uh, this is great, man. Different, different, different tangents here. But the, the final dirty trick, uh, so first, use no but. Secondly, just add a small detail and repeat it, repeat it. Uh, and finally, the dirtiest trick of all, which... I am not ashamed to share with you is to the way to be a better improviser is to prepare. All right. Okay. You're going to have to unpack that for us. Here's the thing. All right. So, uh, I go into, like I said earlier, I go into a lot of commercial auditions, right? And here's the issue with commercial acting, which is they have written a script that is 30 seconds. Seven seconds of that is generally, some sort of like legal or tagline of the product or getting the name out, some sort of branding thing, right? The other 23 seconds or the other eight seconds, they're hoping to do something funny for the most part, or at least the stuff I go out for, to catch the viewer's attention, to catch their eye, to make them stop fast forwarding or you know, during the, entertain them during the game, get them to look up from their bullet chips, whatever it is. So they have written what is at most a setup and a joke or a setup a joke and then maybe a joke on top of it, right? It's 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 no more than like six to ten lines. They will bring in conservatively about two hundred people to read that script. Wow. So by the time that you go to the callback, everybody in that room has heard that script at let's just say they've heard it at least thirty times because they don't watch it. They go, oh not that guy. No, he's too tall. Oh, <laughs> like they don't watch all two hundred, right? But they do watch, and the joke has been pounded into the ground a million times. So, especially in commercial auditions, they always say, we want improv guys. We're imp improvisers. Bring guys who are funny. If you take that literally and you walk into the room and just make stuff up and hope that comedic inspiration and that the ghost of Jonathan Winters comes down and places the giant red clown, ghostly clown nose on your nose... And, and, and makes you a spectacular improviser, great, good for you. 
but you've just cut your chances of booking the job by about two thirds. Because mm -hmm. when I'm outside the room waiting for my turn to go in, I am thinking, God, what would be a funnier joke? What would be a different spin on this? What would be a, uh, an extra tagline that I could put on? Because there's seven seconds where they're talking about the, the product that's not actually going to be filmed today. So I can fill that in with whatever I want. And, and not only am I thinking about that outside the room, I'm thinking of that once I see the scripts, uh, when I'm in the car, on the way to the callback, I'm preparing a bunch of bits. Mm -hmm. Because to, to piggyback off of what you said earlier, there's no Oscar for greatest improv performance at a Dungeons & Dragons game or greatest improv show put on in the room at a commercial audition. Mm -hmm. The only award is you get the job. And those people in the room don't care if you thought of that joke two seconds before you said it mm -hmm. or two hours before you said it. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no grand prize for being the smartest, fastest, quickest, funniest person in the room other than you, you might book the job. But you're... you're deliberately hamstringing yourself from your best potential mm -hmm. right just like you wouldn't you you would if you're not a if you're not a, an impro improvisational dm if you don't have a lot of background in improv you wouldn't just make up an adventure right off the bat and just hope mm -hmm. oh, i hope i think of some good things right. <laughs> you know, make a list of like okay here's some interesting locations oh, these could be the villains uh here's uh, some uh, you know some plot elements that could hook the players in etc 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 right mm -hmm. So do the same thing with the other improv opportunities that you have before you. And that's as simple as making a list of PC names. Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to cross those off as I use these people show up. Coming up with a list of traits that we talked about or maybe mm -hmm. words or phrases that come up, that sort of thing. So give yourself some sort of tool or aid that provides inspiration. Mm -hmm when it's time to improvise. So prepare elements that you find are interesting and inspiring that you can bring to bear. Ultimately, when we're sitting down and we're writing our you know, enormous game world, of the, and in this continent, the dwarves are at war with other dwarves, and, and this is happening. And then over here, this entire desert was sunk, you know, has been sunken underneath. The, you know, when you're creating that stuff, you're giving yourself adventure prompts, right? You're creating mm -hmm. places that you want to explore. Well, just do that on a smaller, more granular level with the names of your NPCs. Who, you know, okay, mm -hmm. I've got this great idea for a paladin who uh, who is ninety five years old and he's washed up, but he can't help but relive relive the glory of his old you know adventuring days. And he really wants to just corner somebody by the ear and talk to them, talk their ear off for like twenty five minutes. But he happens to know a bunch of stuff about like that what's in that mountain. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. wow, now I have a, you know, I can write that guy in and guess what? I can bring him into any scenario. Yeah, he could be in any town. He could run him on the road, wherever you, wherever they happen to be. He's there. He's out in the middle of the woods. He's, you know, <laughs> right. tilting at right. windmills. He's like, I'm going to head up that hill. You know what? Or you open to the dungeon. <laughs> or Johan, I, I have to convince you that this is perhaps not the best plan of action. Yeah. So. So that that is my you know those are my three dirty tricks is is, right. is on a very simple in a, a very simple element that you can use to create, become a better improviser is use no but right. uh, start small create a few small details and and repeat them and and that by virtue of the repetition will help become 
a recognizable theme. You're creating a theme to your game. And then finally, just prepare ideas that you think are interesting, whether that's keeping them on a note card or even just, you know, printing off one of like the hundreds of lists that you've created or that you can find on on DriveThruRPG. Sometimes I have problems with like the super random lists where it's mm -hmm. like, we're, well, no, we're not, not going to find a Kelpie in the middle of the desert, right? <laughs> now, you have two choices. You could yes and that and go, oh, okay. Right. Well, Why is there a Kelpie in the desert? And now, is it a statue of a Kelpie? Like, right. how could I make that work? So that's, that's a case where, like, being open to possibilities and interesting ideas actually takes you a place, too. But sometimes you just read stuff like, that's boring, that doesn't interest me, or whatever. Guess what? You get to re-roll. Right. You don't have to pick what you yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so what are what are some of the specific when you, when you mentioned sort of the the tools and the structure that you that that you have? What are some of the things that you have on hand? Like when you're when you walk into a game, you know what are what are some of the things that you know besides besides well I don't I won't I won't even say besides the obvious, but like you know, and I know you have a whole DM prep show where everybody can watch you you know go through and, <laughs> and prep true, your yeah prep you, your you, you, you got, so it's well, probably so there, but, but for those of us. Yeah, along those lines, um, one of the things that has helped me the most, I mean, we can talk about, like, developing improv skills, but in terms of, like, materials that I have on hand, like, I do use the, the like, the name generator that's in the, in the DM screen, right? I'd like to honestly, like, replace that and take my own advice with a list of names and characters that I think are interesting, and then just a list of names that I like. Right. Um... And because sometimes that there's only, you know, there's 20 times 20 times 20 combinations, which seems like a lot, but they start to sound pretty similar. The first name will still be one side of 20 times. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so that's, yeah. that's not necessarily something that I, 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 I would like to have more lists on hand, but I don't necessarily do it. I really wish, like, one of the things that I would, I wish I had a copy of, I got it when it first came out, I got a copy of Toolbox from uh, AEG, remember the old, um, in the old 3, 3E days, there was this, this D20 book called Toolbox, and it was just like a bunch of random tables over. Yeah, I think I've got a copy I, of that. I I've got it in the room, I didn't bring it out. Um, they, they made a book called Ultimate Toolbox, which is yeah, that that's one I have, yeah. You, you can't find it out of print, you know, anywhere. It's, yeah. it's out of print. But I think, I think it is available on PDF, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty juicy. At any rate, I would love to have, like, like that's an easy resource that you can turn to. Like, pick out a couple. I don't find wandering monster tables to be interesting or inspirational at all. So I always look for stuff like, okay, what are some traits of that NPC in the corner? Um, but the other thing I will say about that is the ones that you make up hold a lot more potential than the ones that you roll out of a book and then you have to process and go... Oh, um, all right. So wait a minute. I don't know how to do a German accent. What is that? What is that? <laughs> you know. Whereas if you have your list of, you know, just take a box of index cards and put a PC, an NPC on each one, or an element, whatever it is. Like, uh, uh, I ran a game of uh, John Harper's Wildlings, mm -hmm. and rather than, you know, that game just starts. You're in a village. And a child has been kidnapped by a monster, and the monster lives at the top of the mountain. Go. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted a little more structure to that. So I created a deck of like 15 encounters that were just one word phrases. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the huntsman by his fire. It was literally that simple. But as we went from scene to scene, I would just pull a card out of my deck and flip it over and go, okay, well, now I, 
I have an inspiration for what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. so, so in terms of, back to your original question, in terms of specific tools that I use, there's two things. One is I have created just recently this thing that I call Plot Radar. Mm. Okay. And so what that is is uh, <laughs> I have this is this is going to get pretty deep into my process, but I'll try to keep it brief. So I have a penchant for creating things that I call Schrodinger's clues. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what sure. that means is I am going to drop. A, a, a plot element or I'm going to drop some sort of interesting detail in front of the players and I don't know necessarily what the answer to that thing is and they don't know immediately what the answer to that thing is. Okay? But it's something interesting. Mm -hmm. So it could be and, and, and I, I'm talking about like kind of like greater type of things that not not like a specific object like oh if you found a clockwork mouse well they're going to want to take it and examine it and play with it and like figure out what it is right away right mm -hmm. i'm talking about things that are like m like bigger things like uh well it sounds like they were involved in some sort of ritual called the uh nightmare awakening mm -hmm. okay do i know anything about that mm, you know it involves necromantic magic but you don't know anything else about it okay mm -hmm. right. well then that kind of like lingers out there right mm-hmm I may not necessarily know what the nightmare awakening is or not. And the players definitely don't. It's, I don't have to define what it is. It's what I call a Schrodinger's clue. It is not one specific thing until the players interact with it in a way that they open the box on this, you know, on this mm -hmm. MacGuffin, on this puzzle, and they directly observe or interact in a way that causes me to define what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay? Do you, do, and, do you define these Schrodinger's clues ahead of time? Do you kind of have a list of them, or are they sort of on the spot? Sometimes, a lot of times, they're things that I improvise. Sometimes they're things that I'm like, well, this would be interesting. Sometimes they're elements from the adventure that right. come up. But you know, we all have this push me pull me of. I read I read a published adventure, and I've been running you know a lot of the Watsi published stuff over the past year and a half, and they have you know, they have an outline for the events as they're expected to unfold and the, you know, kind of the climactic battle that's supposed to happen at the end and who the villain is and stuff like that. And you have this push me, pull me of, I know all of the information that's supposed to happen. But if I tell all of the players everything, how it's laid out and give them all of the information, this is who the bad guy is and this is what's going on and this is how the plot works. If I tell them all, all that up front, they don't have any inducement to go and investigate oh okay well i guess we'll go down to the bottom of the dungeon and kill the medusa um <laughs> let's get a mirror and some sort of visor and let's make sure we have arrow you know or whatever you know so it sucks all the drama out of what's going on in your story right. so the push me pull me i know all of this information and yet i can't hold on to it it can't all be super vague i, I have to reveal it in order to give them enough purchase to advance the story right and so you're constantly playing that balancing act between I'm going to drop clues, mm -hmm. but I can't hit you so hard with a hammer every single time that you figure it out and you go, okay, well, well, <laughs> it turns out the paladin was an anti-palad or was charmed by the succubus. Great. Well, let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's just go get it to spell magic, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> undercutting your own story. Yeah. So these things can be things that come up improvisationally that I drop in is like, oh, I have this theme in mind. And, and as I repeat minor details, it's like, well, let's let's make kind of a theme or a framework and make them related. 
or it'll just be stuff that's like you find this scrap of paper in a scroll tube down in the Sunless Citadel, and it says Kundru Car on it. Mm -hmm. okay, well, there's not a lot more information attached to that scroll, and your players don't have a lot of opportunities to find out what Kundru Car is. So Kundru Car is a Schrodinger's clue. They don't know right. until like until they go and talk to somebody, find a dwarf who knows what that means, or find another book, or you know, talk to somebody who knows the history. Mm -hmm. So those things remain, you know, they, they remain pieces of potential. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. once they're, they're, you finally interact with them in a specific way, they're revealed to this is what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about them is if you have enough of them going, you can drop, let some drop by the side and right. still, still give your players a story arc or a path to follow. Right. So that's a fundamental, like, that's a fundamental piece of my DM Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, toolbox is knowing what my various Schrodinger's clues are. And it can mm -hmm. just be as simple as has, has this big bad guy been mentioned? Right, all? right, right. Yeah. So to, to help me manage that, because it's really easy to drop a bunch of those and then lose track of them. And then the player starts saying stuff like, well, wait a minute, what about, what about that woman who had the weird shriveled blackened arm? Is this anything like her? And you're like, oh, shit, I forgot about her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes. I have that problem a lot. I improv things and totally forget. Yeah. yeah. So, so what I have done is one thing, like just keep stickies or post-it notes right. and write these things down, yep. in, like yep. in the session, if you can, or index cards or whatever it is. Right. If you can't, um, write them down afterwards. And what I have is, um, it, I don't know if you're familiar with this, this like agile school of software development where they use a thing called a Kanban board. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, all right. So at any rate, I came up with this independently, and then somebody pointed out, like, oh, this is just like a Kanban board. Not quite true, but I have a thing called Plot Radar. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I have six columns, and one column is clues or thematic elements which are closed and dormant, right? Um, or and let me put it this way, closed or retired. Mm -hmm. That's the first column. So these are things that the players have, have answered the mystery of. Mm -hmm. So it could be something like, well, what did the paladin do while he was off on his his uh, hiatus in Waterdeep? Something happened. What was it? Well, they they might have figured out, like, oh, okay, he went off to see this uh, evoker and asked some weird questions about some stuff in Infernal that he had found. Well, they know that. That's like, okay, we understand what that is. I put that in my closed column. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I have a column for things that are immediate. And what that is 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 clues and plot threads that are going to pop up in the very next session mm -hmm. that, that need to be addressed. So if they're right next to the room where the goblins are brewing bomb-making supplies, you know, their goblin cannonballs or whatever, you know, Greek fire cannonballs or whatever it is, like, I need to know that that's, obviously, that's going to come up next session, assuming they go through that door. Mm -hmm. So I'll have a list of things that this is probably going to come up immediately. Mm -hmm. Then I will have things in the third column called approaching. These are elements that within the next two to three sessions are probably going to come up, and I want to start working on making sure that they're properly foreshadowed or that they're available to come up immediately. I'm, I'm prepared to deal with them if they do come up immediately somehow. Mm -hmm. My last three columns are things that are distant. So these are things that are on the horizon that I know I need to work in somehow, but the players maybe you're aware of maybe not but i need to definitely make sure that they're that it that it starts moving up the list mm -hmm. so distant things often include like 
the location of the final boss battle or mm -hmm. who the final boss is, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. the pl it's, it's something where it's like, I know they're going to end up ha having to fight that anti-paladin, but they're nowhere close to actually having met him or his lieutenant yet. Right. And then my last two columns are for things that pop up that haven't necessarily reached their full potential and, and that the players have dealt with in different ways. So one of them is called dangling. In my dangling column, I have clues and elements that the players are aware of that I have not connected to anything else on the board, mm -hmm. right? Oh, okay. Like, for instance, so the classic example for me, anyhow, is the name of my campaign is the Iron Keep Chronicles, and we play every Wednesday on Saving Throw Show. Um, and in, this, in session zero, in the character creation establishment development session, the players as teenagers went up to the Iron Keep and had this sort of, like, climactic scene where some sort of draconic creature invoked some sort of weird ritual involving snow and frost and whatnot, right? Session one, we're, the Iron Keep is no longer involved, right? We mm -hmm. went back to their village and they were given a whole <laughs> different quest and it, like, like, it has nothing, you know, there's not, right, as far as the story goes, nothing is happening with the Iron Keep right now. Mm -hmm. But the game is called the Iron Keep Chronicles and they had, <laughs> in their session zero, they had this very climactic, interesting fight. Right memorable to them right. but it's not connected to anything else so that's dangling in my opinion right right right, right. the the other thing that i have is the final column that i have and again we're doing a we're doing a deep dive on on the the tools that i use mm -hmm. the final column that i have is called uh elements that are dormant so these are things that i've given the players that right. i remember that are interesting and important that they have forgotten about right so it may be that like like that scroll case that has the word Kundrukar written on the inside of it. Mm -hmm. but they got it for whatever reason. They've forgotten about it. We mm -hmm. haven't really gone through their inventory to go. Hey, what uh, what items? What has everybody got? And anybody got anything interesting? You know, I didn't. I haven't played that card yet, which mm -hmm. I can't. But mm -hmm. but so that's something that I'm aware of that they're not. So dangling is things that they're aware of that I haven't connected to anything yet, mm -hmm. and I need to start thinking about connecting to. But it's not urgent. And right. then dormant is stuff. That, that I've given to them and they have forgotten about, but I can bring that back to life anytime simply by saying, well, check your inventory, or by saying, why don't you give me an intelligence check? You've seen this room before. In fact, you've seen it right. on a scroll case that you found right. you know, like right. six rooms ago. Right. Hmm. So that's so cool. Those are, those are the tools that I use. And I don't necessarily use my plot radar at the table, I use it as a prep tool. Sure. So, so the, the reason it's set up deliberately as columns is I can put all these things on the board and then instead of like taking notes like you would on your computer where you're like I start at the top of the page and I read right to left and I go down and down and down and down and everything's in a logical order. Mm -hmm. I put these things in columns and, you know, they're in vertical, they're in vertical columns and then they go across so that I can kind of play leapfrog however I want from mm -hmm. element to element to element. So, okay, maybe these goblins who are making bombs are now connected to this lieutenant. I can use the goblins to foreshadow the lieutenant. I can use the lieutenant to foreshadow the big bad. You know, I can mm -hmm. make connections that I wouldn't necessarily see if I just typed it up in a wiki or on in a Word document or whatever it is, where it's like mm -hmm. bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. You mm -hmm. tend to order those things. Right. This puts it on. I can, I can well, I'm, I'm too zoomed in to really hold it. <laughs> we got you. Yeah, I got the idea. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a step back and ask some questions from our, our fine audience. These are questions that both came across on Twitter uh, over the past couple of days. And um, 
some that have come in the chat channel now. And and as always, we have Alex Basso, our our guardian solar, who hangs above the show, making sure that nothing bad happens. Uh, Alex, what what do you got? What do you have for us? All right. So thank you for those who have asked questions. Uh, first, we have one from Twitch chat. This is from I'm in your house now. Uh, I like the name. Uh, what are some tips for improv, dialogue, or actions during serious or tense moments? Wait, Tom, I think um, I think your challenge there is to not focus on you know writing those little bits of characterization, whatever you have created. Don't you don't have to ride those really hard especially if you're new to improv or you're new to like doing some sort of acting performance type of thing, you can, you can be taking a chance during a serious or tense moment by playing that bit of like, he always says ma'am or something like that. Like not to say that you can't pull it off, but it's an advanced move to, to maintain the tone of the interaction while at the same time maintaining this very strong character bit, which is a little bit kind of, um, a little bit over the top, I would say, right? Or it's just so, so, so blocky and basic. So I would say the most important thing for improvising on in a serious or tense moment is knowing why this thing is serious. Like having a reason why this character is responding to the situation in a grave and serious way. If you can communicate to the players that this character is genuinely afraid or feels genuinely intimidated or, or genuinely sad about whatever's happening or genuinely angry, right? That, so these serious intense moments always tend to fit into like a realm of negative emotions, anger, fear, sadness. Those are like your three primary like go-tos, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so know why that's sad. And then maybe see if you can find a way to either pull empathy, like to draw empathy in with the, the player characters, or see if you can find some sort of connection that their characters should be able to relate to if they don't just feel bad for like, oh, this, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, the goblin's sad. I don't care. I'm going to stab him. Mm -hmm. But if they realize like, oh, the goblin's sad that his community is going to be wiped out and whatever's coming up from the Underdark is probably going to wipe out your village as well mm -hmm. well now they're invested in what's happening here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so no you know the, knowing that reason being able to to glom onto it and expand it with little details uh, that are that are personal that, that give personal meaning to whatever that character is that will help you create a moment of, of genuine empathy with your players, hopefully, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't always pull it off. Like sometimes, you're, like you said, your players like don't care about the life of a go goblins are all evil and they all deserve to be slaughtered, mm -hmm. right? I had mm -hmm. one of those moments in my game this week where they came upon this group of essentially like strung out drug addicted goblins who were in the throes of withdrawal and they're like huddling around this fire and they're all shivering and they got blankets over them, but there's still their sweat dripping off of the end of their nose and running down the neck of the back and they turn and they're just like, you know, Grinick, give me Grinick. <laughs> well, half the party was like, I'll kill him. <laughs> we'll go murder those guys. And right. half the party is lawful good. And they're like, well, I don't know that we should do that. You know, 
But in order to have in order to have a meaningful interaction and make that moment honest, you have to have like your honest take on why they're angry, right. why they're afraid, why right. they're sad. And and that will hopefully allow your players to connect. Now, right. if they don't such is life. Such as you know, that's D and D. And and, yeah. and and the other thing I will say about that is if you can actually reach moments of emotional truth, like convey something that people receive in such a personal manner that it touches them as well, that can be scary for people, right? Mm -hmm. Like that can be a um, unsettling experience at the table. That may not be, maybe they just sat down to check their Twitter feed, throw out a few, <laughs> you know, pithy jokes, roll some dice, kill some goblins. Right, right. now they feel bad. Oh, and I, and, 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 and you, well, or, the, or, or you may have like, you may have, tripped off something in them that they weren't expecting to 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 deal with you know like right. this whole like let's just take the the goblin example if you had somebody in at your table whose life had been genuinely affected by a family member or relative or mm -hmm. spouse or whatever who's having addiction problems you yeah. opened up a whole can of worms that go beyond like now all of a sudden you've blown up your game to like we need to deal with the meta situation mm -hmm. of what's happening here it has nothing mm -hmm. to do with throwing dice anymore mm -hmm. so it's it's important to it, it, it is it, it it heightens the drama of the game when you can reach players on that level. But I, I would suggest you know a very common um, tactic or tool available to you is just have an X card, and if somebody's like, "This is going someplace that I I don't want to talk about, I don't want to role play about, I don't want to deal with," just buzz out on the X card, and we'll right. stop and back up and reset to something that's not going to take you out of the joy of the play experience and throw you into this weird place where you're right. like reliving right. something that your ex did to you or whatever. Right. Uh, hey, Alex, what other questions you got? <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, no. Calden asks, is it harder for you to improv with a fairly detailed adventure, like Adventurers League stuff, or when you are running something completely homebrewed? It's, honestly, it's I, I, my honest question. Uh, answer to that question is it's harder for me to uh, improvise around something that's completely homebrewed. Really? Because I am I am more than happy, and I'm, this is something that that I've only sort of like recently embraced. Because when when I was coming up through the through my you know formative DM years, there was like oh yeah you can re run a published adventure or you can come up with your own thing and then put your own stamp on it and it's got your own da 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 yeah. And my issue with that is I never prepare enough details of that to feel like it, I can sustain a campaign that way. It always ends up being a lot more prep, and then I have to get all my stats together, and I get rushed to the end, and I end up sitting down at the table with a bunch of unanswered questions mm -hmm. and, and not having an idea of where this could go, and it stresses me out. So that when it comes to, to improvising in the moment, I'm like, uh, I guess we're just going to go this way, but and then we're... You get to the end of the session, you're like, well, that didn't make sense. Why did they, why would that guy have even said that? How does he know that? You know, you spend a lot of time second guessing. It's a lot of pressure. I tend to kind of like choke up. And I found that with the prepared adventure, whether it's, you know, something as sprawling as Storm King's Thunder or as granular as Sunless Citadel, I'm far more free and able to remix and rehash and improvise if I have kind of what I would say is the recipe in front of me. And I know where it's supposed to go, and I can go, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Right. But I, right. I always know, like, well, eventually it comes back around to they're going to go here and fight this guy. 
Mm -hmm. So all I have to do is start connecting the dots back to that thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm doing a homebrew, which I haven't thought through, mm -hmm. there are no dots to connect to. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. just kind mm -hmm. of like, you're reaching for like, okay, where's this going to go next? Is this going to be an interesting scene? Mm -hmm. You know, like working without a net has its value, but I don't like DMing without, without kind of like, I don't like to create material on the spur of the moment because I am terrible about taking notes mm -hmm. and I'm not always sure that I'm, so the, the, the other part of this that, 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 that this touches on is that we're dealing with a story structure. So we're dealing with building tension, building suspense, revealing information, and then coming to some sort of reveal, climax, or twist, and then having some denouement. Like, that should be sort of the elemental shape of what you know, either your session or also your campaign, like, forms those sort of ridges, like, as you back them back to back to back. But if you're just improvising without any idea of what's the climactic encounter of this particular session, what's the crux of the thing that they learn or the, the place that they explore or the person that they fight, then it's really hard to, to build suspense or to have the players feel like you're building suspense because they're like, well, which, which of these things is important? Like, why is, is, should I be more concerned about this? It seems like he's just like dropping stuff on us and I'm not sure where to go next. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's that's where I live. Is I love to be in that space where I have a prepared adventure, and then right. I kind of throw it against the wall and do a remix of it. Yeah, and yeah. If you go back and watch my stream on Storm King's Thunder, you will see just how heavily yeah. I modded that thing, and yet it's still recognizable. You can still follow along with the structure in the book and stuff that you know. Okay, I cut this out, but I added this in. I moved this right. room from here to here. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I've been playing all the published modules as well. Um, and the reason why I've been playing them is a, I feel like I've got a lot of freedom within them to, to, to make it our own, to, to, to let it really grow at the table. I'm running storm Kings thunder for two groups simultaneously, and both are totally different games. <laughs> and, um, but, but I also feel like, you know, and my big feeling is like, you know, hundred grand went into that book for them to make it, you know, on the, on the, on the conservative side, why am I not capitalizing off that hundred grand? You know, like why would why would not, I think that me with a notepad can can do better than what they did with you know seven full time people? Well, and and here's the best part is that you get to take Chris Perkins' best ideas, and then right. throw out the things that don't speak to yeah. you, and, and the maps, plug yeah, in art, something, right. yeah, right, and right. and plug in Play whatever testing. you know that that you feel is going to speak directly to your group because yeah. yeah, they 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 write things that. You know they can't they can't tailor the experience to your group, and sure. that's ultimately like your job as a DM mm -hmm. more than anything else is to tailor the experience to your group so that they walk away and go, oh yeah, that was a cool thing that we did. Yeah, right. That's right. it, and it doesn't matter what materials you bring, what you changed, what you know, mechanics that you use, or whatever, what even what game you're playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's to realize, okay, well, this is this is what these people like this is this is their jam let's let's serve it up and see where they go with it right alex i think we probably have time for one more question okay so last one then from shawnee g he asks what are some of your favorite rpgs that really emphasize player and dm improvisation that's a great question <laughs> well i'm glad that you asked this question because i happen to pull a few choice titles off of my bookshelf um so there's a couple things. Somebody's already mentioned it in the chat, actually. Uh, 
in terms of this whole no but idea, right? This whole idea that, okay, well, you failed, but something interesting, you still get a, gain a piece of information. Dungeon World is your number one training ground. For, wow, look, you got a, you got the bookmarks again and everything. Uh, that's right. Well, <laughs> I nerded out on that one. Cave, if you <laughs> want to know where... Copy. My cave dwellers. Right over there. <laughs> Swamp denizens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Dungeon World is... I, I, I have not played a campaign in Dungeon World. I have largely either played or run one-shots with it. Uh, you know, the Apocalypse World system. The great thing about the Apocalypse World system is you don't, as the DM, you don't really do anything until the players roll a failure. But because the players have rolled a failure, you now, um, you now have license to inflict harm on them, mm-hmm. right? Like the players understand, oh, I rolled crappy, so something bad's going to happen. And they're just waiting for you to fill in the details of what it is. But they know something's bad's going to happen. It's their fault. They rolled it. Whereas mm-hmm. in D&D, you know, if you roll a three on your attack roll and you were to tell somebody, oh, yeah, well, the orc slaps your longsword out of your hand and it goes clattering over to the edge of the well, they'd be like, that's, that's not where the we- rules work. Yeah, that sucks. You're a dick. <laughs> so... So that's why I really encourage people to at least play or watch some one-shot sessions of Dungeon World and get a feel for the fact that the GM not only has license to, like, it's acceptable within the confines of the game to create that thing, but also that it it allows you to see possibilities where there weren't possibilities before. Right, right. Yeah, I'm a huge huge fan of Dungeon World. the, The thing that I love about it, too, is if... If you roll badly, I can make a hard move against anybody else at the table. So right. now it's everybody's turn. You know, when the paladin screws up, the magic user can get it in the kidneys. Right. Oh, oh what? <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Things are turning. Things are not going well for you guys. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it 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 also encourages an amount of uh, uh, expansive thinking beyond. Right. I am dealing with you and your turn, and you will take your granular set of actions, and when they are resolved, I will move on to the cleric and his turn. Yeah. And, yep. and that contributes to so much of that table feeling of, like, this guy goes, and then, oh, okay, uh, let, let me... Let me <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, we're over here still? All right, fine, yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, did you see, did you see what happened? <clears throat> so, that's, that's one game. Yeah. Uh... We're going to go from most structured to least structured. So this is Dungeon World is your most D&D friendly, right? <clears throat> Fate, which you are very familiar with, is probably right. your next like like uh, level of story gaming, let's call it that, or unrefined, like bring your improv chops. Right. Because what does, what does that mean? How does my high concept or my trouble play into what's happening at the table, right? Yeah. How can... How can I take advantage of an aspect that's been, you know, created in the environment called malfunctioning air conditioning units? Mm-hmm. Okay, right. that, right. you know, that, that level of creative, like, uh, improv is ultimately about creating connections, mm-hmm. okay? Don't be fooled, like, when we talk about structure and things like that, like, improv is not just making up whatever you think off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. It's about creating meaningful connections between things that do not, appear on the surface or at least initially to be meaningfully connected Mm -hmm. oh okay well you find some some weird you find some 
some water that has a grayish tinge, but then there's this little black oily skim on the top of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You find a corpse that is covered with this weird shriveled black uh, husk, like it's turned into the shriveled black husk. Oh, maybe it has something to do with that. Well, well, now you're creating a connection too. Like you see this guy who's wielding this sword that looks like it's made out of water, but it's covered in this black oily sheen. Maybe the, it's some sort of you know black magical oil itself. Well, now all of a sudden you've like taken something, connected it, made it more meaningful, and made, giving it significance. Right. That's in. Right. Uh, it's, it, you have to do the same things in fate, where you yeah. have to find the connect the meeting between what the players have on the table and what you as the DM has on the table. Right, right. <laughs> and then finally, in terms of like the purest um, role-playing exercise that I would recommend to people is either watching or playing a game of Fiasco, right? Um, in which you are given some story prompts about, uh, about how you're connected to the other characters and sort of what the setup is. You are given a few attributes for your character and there's no mechanics we just take turns telling uh you know creating scenes together around the table and it's mm -hmm. largely improvised conversation with maybe some like i'm going to interject a camera move or i'm going to bring up something that happens and it turns out that the gas oven has been left on and at the end of the scene it explodes or whatever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's from like most dnd friendly yeah. to, like i'm throwing you in the deep end of the pool go swim and, right. and, and you'll find out what kind of group you're playing with in a fiasco game. It, the, the best thing about fiasco is it's designed to be a game of humiliating failure. <laughs> right. so you're not trying to like get to the bottom of the dungeon. It's in the title. Yeah. And, and, and defeat, like it's designed to be a fiasco. And so right. there's something liberating about knowing that, oh, my character did something stupid because they're failures they're right. supposed to do stupid stuff they're supposed to make the wrong choice right. making right. the wrong choice is interesting whereas right. in D, D, it's a series of successes that stack up and add up to i have burned the the villain's hit points down to zero and now i can claim their treasure mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's a 180 but it's very valuable to play that and then see how you can apply it Mm -hmm. to a game like D&D. &D. Yeah, I was going to say, one, one nice thing about all three of those systems that you pulled out is um, all three of them have components that are, what, are you just going to walk away while I'm talking? I'm, I'm in the middle of I'm talking here. Right here. <laughs> the Hell, I sat here for an hour listening to you, and you just walk away. Yes. That's just rude. So um, one of the nice things about all three of those systems is all of them have like direct mechanics, so, so certainly philosophies, but also direct mechanics that you can drop into 5e, and yeah. and they work they work pretty well. So I use like character building, um, you know, I, I often use character building uh, uh, systems from uh, Fiasco as a way to join characters together in 5e. That that's sort of like what's the relationship that each of the characters have, you know? I, I call it the Fiasco style relationships, and and. It drops really nicely into D&D. You can actually make it one of the bonds. You know, instead of having a generic bond, you can have a bond that's connected to another character. Um, Dungeon World has some of the best, you know, philosophical ideas I've ever seen. That, like, even if you never play it, the book is just a great read. And the whole concept behind behind fronts and 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 their whole sort of DM. They have, I think, a GM was like a list of like 10 GM philosophies, and they're some of the best ones, including my favorite one, which is be a fan of the PCs. You know, like they're they're the heroes, you know, and you should be a fan of them, not of your big dumb monster. Right. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna mention fronts, and I really I'm I'm glad you brought it up because that is 
that is a great section to read. Um, and completely transportable. And think and think about like and apply it to your to your GMing. Absolutely. Yeah, Mike Merles, I think during the um, the D and D next time, Mike Merles posted a big tweet saying that like he loves Dungeon World and fronts in particular. He said completely changed has how he DMs. Um, and then uh, from Fate, the idea of zones and aspects, I think, are really powerful. You know, I stole the idea for aspects and put it into uh, fantastic locations. It's also going to be in fantastic adventures. But that idea that like when you have an area or a location, you can just sort of add these tags and the tags can be just two words like, you know, rickety, rickety ceiling, you know, mm -hmm. and crumbling wall and and eldritch altar, you know, and, and that's all you have to do. You have to do anything else. Right. And then the players are like, I want to go dick with that Eldrick altar. And you're like, roll an Arcana check, you know? Oh, you get hit with Psychic, or, you know, right. you gain great power, you know, and you're, all your spells are, you know, better. And, but, and that's, honestly, like, that's the heart of inspiration, is you create a notable detail, right. and then when the players interact with it, something significant happens. Right. Right? right. So right. It's not, it goes from being a curiosity to being something that's notable, I guess, maybe put it that way, right? Right, right. Well, Tom, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think we you, you, you covered a lot of ground. I love the, a lot of the suggestions you offered are really great. The, the one that, you know, sticks right out at me right now, they're all fantastic, but the one that sticks right out is that idea for an NPC to just have that one clear trait for that NPC, like a, a you know, a visible tick, everything from a visible tick to a, you know, just a mannerism that right. identifies that's really, you know, I, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, there, all, this, there's, all this has been great. There's one other resource that I want to point you to, which is a book called Unframed, uh, mm -hmm. The yep. Art of Improvisation for Game Masters. And it's a series of essays by a bunch of different uh, RPG luminaries from, uh, from D. Vincent Baker to Wolfgang Barr to Emily Care Boss. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, I don't know, like 25 people on the um on the cover and each of them has their own just brief like three to five page essay maybe not even that much on tackling a different aspect of improvising for rpgs and so if you want a variety of perspectives and a variety of things to think about from people who like been there and put some effort and some work on into it definitely get, pick up um unframed it's by engine publishing the yep. guys over at gnomes too and uh it's a great, yeah, it's a great resource specifically in that, like, because it's dedicated to improv. Right. And I think it'll give you some some interesting ideas. Like, like my plot radar thing is inspired by island design, right? The mm -hmm. whole island style of design. Um, I just have a little bit more formalized set of categories for how I do my islands. Right, so, right. And, and, my, and my things are my things are, are around plot elements as opposed to specific like encounters or it's not it's right. not as plot plot driven. Right, right, right. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, really appreciate the conversation. It's been a great show. Uh, uh, just you know, fantastic time, and I hope we can do it again. I appreciate you having me on. I really, uh, I, I really uh, enjoy following you on Twitter, and uh, I'm always uh, uh, envious of the amount of energy and the prodigious output which <laughs> you managed to bring both to Twitter and just to the community in general with the stuff well, that I, you put together. So I love, I love to talk in all forms. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like there's a kinship there. <laughs> Not, yeah. Um, yeah, and so for people who are tuning in, you can also uh, hit me up uh, at Dungeon Bastard on Twitter 
If you would like to follow either the campaign that I'm running, that's Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock Pacific on Saving Throw Show, so twitch.tv slash Saving Throw Show. And on Tuesdays, I do a prep show talking about, well, here's some things that are coming up in this next session that we right. want to think about or deal with. And also, it's generally also a mix of DM philosophy. And on Thursdays, I have a reflection on, well, here's how it really went, and I didn't expect this, and <laughs> course corrections and that sort of stuff, as well as doing some Q&A on Thursdays. Those all eventually find their way to YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash saving throw show, you can watch basically my entire 52-episode arc of Storm King's Thunder from my very earliest sessions all the way to the closing Gangbusters finale. And we just started uh, doing the Sunless Citadel we just did session five, so there's only there's only ten episodes to catch up on. So yeah, your yeah. your prep your prep that you did on Storm King's Thunder was invaluable. I've you know I think like a lot of people I had I had trouble exactly getting my head around how to run a lot of that stuff. So it was really nice to have somebody else who was kind of going through it and you know working it out. It's like okay, so that you know so that's the way it can work out. You know. So, so I'm gonna the the now, now I've kind of thrown the book over the you know that's, wall. No, that, just, that was the thing, right? <laughs> was, run whatever was, I want. I, I had sort of had an idea of where this was going to go up until about halfway through the adventure. And then I was, for me, it was it, because I was running Adventurers League at my game store, I had a finite beginning to end. Right. And so as I got like, like 12 sessions out, I suddenly could see like the walls closing in on me. Like, okay, well now I need to figure out like, what's the, what's the end game of this and what things do I need to reveal? And, and I did not, I mean, I, I kind of had glanced through the whole book in order to get an idea of, like, this is the arc of the adventure. But for the first probably 25 to 30 sessions, or 30, well, no, about, about the first 15 weeks or so, I didn't care how the book ended. I had an idea of, <laughs> yeah, all right, eventually they go and do this. But I didn't care. And it wasn't until those, like, those last, like, eight weeks where I was like, we better start like putting the screws to the plot and figuring out. So I definitely sort of like it, it's it's interesting to hear you say, well, well, you really opened this up and this is the pathway that you followed. I didn't follow a path until like yeah, right. I, I had a path and then I saw a bunch of possibilities and I had to like follow them down to the yeah, conclusion. Yeah, my mine's mine both my games. I feel like I'm about halfway through on both of them. I'm playing one local game shop one and then one at home, and they're they're totally off the rails. And I'm like, yeah, I'll run them until the next campaign because, you know, I don't need to run, <laughs> I don't need to run the uh, yawning portal stuff. Yeah, in fact, yeah. one of I ran some of the yawning portal stuff in in my Storm King Thunder game, um, but uh, I'll wait until uh, uh, Annihilation. I have to say, like, in terms of published adventures where people want to experiment with improvising, I think Storm King's Thunder is the best official D&D, &D, the, be the best wizard's adventure to improvise with. If you yeah. want to... Because you kind of have to. <laughs> well, but it's also structured that way. It's structured yeah, in right. such a modular fashion that it's like, right. okay, well, they go to one of these three cities. Yeah, you pick right. which one. Great. Right. Well, that's improvising. I'm going right. to try and decide, you know, and then, see what happens. Then they'll go to one of 140 locations. And they're <laughs> like, no. And, and, and so my takeaway from that was, like, I'm going to play one leg of that journey of, like, let's go to 140, lo you know, 10 right. of 140 locations. Yeah, right. But then the adventure is designed to sort of, like, loop back around. It's like, sure. well, since you didn't hit, yeah. you know, since we have 130 other locations, here's another 12 encounters where you can throw in. Well, I, mm -hmm. I just threw them out. So if you want to go to school on 
how can I change the structure of an adventure? How can I adapt to what my players like and what I think is going to be interesting? How am I going to change the, the nature and the pace of the fundamental encounters that are com coming up? I think Storm King's Thunder is a fairly good cookbook of mm -hmm. ideas that you can then remix. I had a great time remixing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm enjoying it, but it took me it 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 I, I I you know something had to break in me, you know, and the idea was like I'm just whatever structure I think this adventure might have, it doesn't. And <laughs> and I'm going my own way and I'll use what it's got. And, and I'm having I, a great time. I, I you know just <laughs> one last thing in terms of like the published adventures because I played through Curse of Strahd and I played through Out of the Abyss and they also have this somewhat this modular format, right? But with Curse of Strahd, the issue that I personally had was Strahd is so powerful right off the bat that I had a hard time suspending disbelief that he wouldn't just ride down out of the skies on his fiery nightmare chariot and wipe us all out when we're level three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that part stretched some credibility for me in terms of trying to run that adventure or at least trying to play through that adventure. So I think that would be a challenge if you were to DM it. And I think with Out of the Abyss, you have this huge inciting incident where a demon, a major demon, makes an appearance towards like the first like six sessions of that thing. Yeah, right. And then that storyline kind of gets buried where it's like, well, now go visit this gnome city and liberate them from the clutches of the drow or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like Storm King's Thunder has yeah. ha isn't hitched so much with that because the plot behind or the the nefarious plot behind Storm King's Thunder is supposed to kind of unroll. Yeah. unroll slowly behind the scenes, it gives you more opportunity to, to play around with the level of threat and suspense that you mm -hmm. want to inflict. Yeah, the trick the trick I had for Strahd, I'll, I'll just I'll just mention, um, the trick I had for Strahd is that his intention isn't to kill the characters, his intention is to watch them. They're the only elements in all of Barovia he doesn't have any control over, and he just likes to see what they're going to do. And right. that, up until they kill Baba, Baba Lasaga, and when that happens, he's like, uh-oh, you know, I got to start paying attention to these guys. And by that point, they're powerful enough that it's a real conflict. Yeah. But for me, that, that worked in my campaign. He showed up all the time. He loved dicking with players, but it was, his intent was never to kill him. So, or not, not never, but it, it, up, up front, it wasn't to kill him. It was like, I want to just, you know, I'm bored and I want to see what they're going to do, you know, but I'm going to poke them just because I like poking them. I, I you know, yeah, I, I, I understand that. Like, I understand that angle. And for me, it's tough to think of a guy who's that powerful, who knows that death is really no barrier here in, right. in Ravenloft, right? It's like, you kill them, and they just come back with some sort of weird infernal blessing. <laughs> well, great, good. <laughs> Lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what blessings they get. Uh, if, if I were to approach running that thing, I think what I would do is instead of starting with the, you know, the, 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 the NPC woman who's sort of the love of his life, yeah. being on the brink of like she's just about to get turned into a vampire and become his beloved which is sort of the setup i would have started it with he's she's he's targeted her but she has not been fed on and so through the course of the adventure you can notch up the suspense and the seriousness of what's going on by sh you know the players can't fend him off she gets fed on and then he's satisfied or sated for say a month or three weeks or whatever it is it gives the players time to go off and do stuff right. and then he comes back to feed again and that to me is a much more plausible like sure. reason for sidelining him other than well he doesn't feel like being a dick no he 100 percent feels yeah. like being a dick. and if he can kill all these guys and just know that the abbot or whoever will bring them back with some weird you know <laughs> monkey arms or something why wouldn't he do that so. 
Yeah, neat. Well, it's been a great time. I really appreciate the I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, thank you for the invite. I'm happy to come back anytime you want to discuss any, you know, anything. If you want to have a further conversation about improv or just talk sure. about running AL or talk about Gen yep. Con because that's coming up. Yep. Or, you going to you going to Origins at all? I'm not. It's oh, that's a bummer. It's it's hard for me to plan to be out of town, right? It's not so much so so the curse of being an actor is that your schedule is never your own. And when you take time off, it's actually tripled. So if I were to take three days off, well, that's obviously three days that I can't shoot a project, right? right. But that's also three days that I can't go to a callback for a project. Right, right. And that's also three days that I can't go to an audition for a different project. Right. So that's three times as, that's take, I take, I end up taking three times as much time off, you know, in effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As if I were to just go on vacation on a normal job, and it's like, oh, you're gone for two days. Don't worry. Everything will be here when you come back on Monday. Yeah, that's crazy. My yeah. agent just doesn't send me out on that stuff. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a bummer. It's, 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 I would love, like, Origins was one that I had on my calendar. Everybody was like, oh, are you going to go to Gary Khan? It seems like it'd be perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, taking, taking time off for Gamehole Con and Gen Con, <laughs> the height of both the commercial – Mm -hmm. production season and the tv production season so those things just sting the way it is it's tough yeah right 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 yeah well but we'll definitely catch up anyway it's been a fantastic conversation i really appreciate your time hey thanks so much for having me on um, yeah yep. and thanks the conversation to, on Twitter. thanks to thanks to our guardian angel once again alex thank you very much and thanks to everybody that's been watching on twitch and everybody that's listening on the podcast and everybody that watches on youtube thank you all At the center of the great forest, on an island in the sky, the crow, deer, and wolf clans have been training three fearsome warriors from infancy for one purpose, to protect and serve the goddess of Estra. This unlikely trio will venture forth into an unfamiliar world without knowing who can be trusted against the powerful dark force stalking the steps of their goddess and threatening the future of their world. Tune in every second Monday to Dames and Dragons, a 5th edition D&D actual play podcast. See you then!